This podcast is brought to you by Ideate and Execute. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, ideate massively valuable new products, or execute them to market? Then contact us today at ideateandexecute.com and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future Podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. All right, let's go for it. Okay. (laughs) Well, it's great meeting you. This is great. Uh, So tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization and what you're passionate about. Yeah, so my name is David Vorick. Um, I've been a software engineer, uh, become CEO, got sucked into the startup world, um, and really like... That sounds what, really negative, you know, got sucked into the startup world. <laughs> it's no, not that I, bad, is it? <laughs> I definitely mean it in a positive way, but um, I use the word sucked because it is all-encompassing. Yeah. Um, and, and it does feel like uh, I don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's I'm I would not do anything else, right? I I feel so much more empowered versus like uh, so I had an an open job offer from Google and I could have gone to Google instead. Mm-hmm. And every time that I ask myself, you know, did I do the right thing? There's no question at all, right? I'm I'm a million times happier doing yeah. what I'm doing. Um, yeah, you yeah, don't so want to be I, a cog I, in a machine. You know, it's a, it's basically not. a cog in a machine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, where I am, uh, I feel empowered to, you know, I, I have certain things that I believe about the world and I'm in a position to throw, you know, the full weight of my uh, just just intellectual ability and also just, just man, manpower, just all of my manpower can go into changing the world um, in ways that I feel are productive. Um, and in, in any other scenario, I'm, you know, I'm not confident that I would, I would be able to operate at a hundred percent, you know, and, and I'm sure that some boss would ask me to do things that I'm not a hundred percent confident is, is the best way, use of my time. Um, and so from that perspective, it's, it's been amazing. Um, as for like what, you know, what, what this is, um, we specialize in decentralized data. Um, and so I really started to think about the cloud not just as like iCloud and where you put your photos, but when you use YouTube, um, the the videos that you're watching are in the cloud, or when you're on on Twitch, that those streams are in the cloud, or Instagram, et cetera. The the applications themselves have become the cloud, and we spend most of our time on the cloud and in the cloud, where our whole experience is owned and shaped by corporations, whose kind of legal mandate is not to make our lives better but rather to maximize shareholder value. Um, And the more time that I spend in this world, the more, um, just the more apparent it is to me how like viciously predatory this world is. And like ads are not your friends. Like ads, ads are a mechanism of mind, mind control. And like the feed is not, it's not there to enrich you. It's there to addict you. Absolutely. It wants you to spend more. I couldn't yeah, agree three, more. four hours a day. And so um, our 
game, I guess, the, the thing we're trying to achieve is to take that data and move it out of the hands of corporations and into the hands of users. And so um, I like using YouTube as an example that, you know, a content creator who uploads, let's say, you know, over the course of a year, 20 to 50 videos, that's kind of their portfolio. Right now, YouTube owns it. YouTube decides who gets to see it. And like, yeah. if you build up uh, 10,000 subscribers, your relationship with your subscribers is completely dependent on and managed by Google um, or Alphabet now. Absolutely. Um, and we very much believe that if, if you've built this portfolio and you have these subscribers, it should be managed by you and them. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, what you choose to put on your channel, what you attempt to monetize, that's, that's between you and the people who love your content. Um, and, and Google really has no business being in the middle. Yeah. Um, and so we have built a platform that enables this relationship to happen. Um, and so it's kind of weird in the sense that we're uh, part of a growing set of modern, like decentralized startups where rather than trying to grab as much control as possible, we're trying to push as much control away as possible and, and mm -hmm. create the most fertile landscape for users. But this, this has um, very interesting tangential effects, which is like, um, because the data is owned by the content creator, whether it appears on YouTube or Vimeo or some random startup um, is completely indifferent to the content creator, right? As long as, as, long as they're interacting with their audience um, and, and you know, getting paid for their work, um, they mostly could care less who is presenting it. And so that yeah. creates this much more, um, I guess just vibrant ecosystem where when, when you publish something, it can simultaneously appear in the YouTube feed and also in a, in a Twitter timeline and also on applications you've never even heard of. Like you, you don't have to know it exists to, to be part of that ecosystem and to be pulling you know, viewership from that ecosystem. Um, and so I think uh, that just gets gets powerful in ways that the we call it the centralized web um, just can't compete with. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds it sounds as if that sounds like a dream come true for content creators because they get to own their content. They get to uh, you know, do they actually get to say where their content appears as well? So if if I'm a if I don't want my content to appear on sketchy site A. Well, can I go in and say I only want it to appear on these specific sites, or is it more agnostic than that? I think it is more agnostic than that. Um, you could probably put like preferences in your content, but um, ultimately, so ultimately, it's about user control, right? And so, we believe that the user should be able to consume content in any way that they want to. Um, and so, if if user prefers, you know, what the content creator considers to be sketchy website A. Um, you know, we, we really think that that's, we want to empower the user to, to interface through sketchy website A with, with the caveat, um, that we do want to protect the content creators ability to monetize. Right. So we, right. we really care about sustainability of the ecosystem. And if, con you know, if content creators aren't able to make a living, um, then they're, they're into the same problem we talked about earlier, which is like, they, they can't throw their full force of energy into their vision, um, they're stuck doing something else. And I definitely want to, I want to make sure content creators can can hit sustainability at the lowest user count possible. Um, and so, yeah, that, so mostly we're user oriented. And then we also, we also really want to protect that monetization level. 
for, for yeah. content creators. Yeah, because I mean, right now, I mean, especially if you're on the edge of the kind of content that YouTube doesn't want to be shown, uh, you're, you're constantly walking this fine line as to whether or not, you know, this is something because, you know, it's, it's kind of a chilling effect on free speech. It's like, what am I allowed to say? What am I not allowed to say? What's going to, what's it going to stop? What's going, what am I going to say that's going to get me kicked off of YouTube? And then there goes your entire uh, revenue stream, right? So, I mean, it sounds like this is a way around it. And I think, you know, we especially saw the chilling effect in the past year with COVID, where most YouTube content creators had a period of several months where they refused to say the word COVID. Um, for fear of being demonetized. So whether or not that fear was legitimate, um, the chilling effect was very much there. YouTube creators were like afraid to talk about their real life experiences with this deadly disease um, because they weren't sure how, you know, quote unquote, the algorithm yeah. uh, was going to respond to that discussion. Um, and, and yeah, I, th I think, you know, that chilling effect has a very strong material cost to our society. And in this case, in, in the sense that we had less resources to discuss and reason about the pandemic. Um, and if, if you can take YouTube out of the middle and, and content creators aren't afraid of what YouTube's going to think, they're only afraid of what their users are going to think. That's a much more pure relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's probably one of the things that I, I'm sad about when it comes to the internet, because when it, when it first started, it was kind of a wild west, you know, anybody could connect to anybody. And now we seem to experience it through these portals, this, you know, this tiny set of sort of providers and portals that uh, people will go through. And those portals have the ability to filter stuff out, right? But it sounds like your solution doesn't necessarily do that. How does it actually work? Yeah. Um... So that's, that's a pretty complicated question. Um, <laughs> well, how would it work for me? Let's say I'm a content creator and I want to allow my videos to go everywhere. What, what, how, what would I do? Do I upload them to your service? Do I run a node on my machine? How exactly does that work? Yeah, so you would use, um, so we, I'm gonna break things into creators and developers. So you have developers who are going to make apps like the decentralized version of Twitter and the decentralized version of YouTube. Okay. And actually, you would just go to the decentralized YouTube app, and it would give you an upload interface. You would just upload it. And so that's the amazing thing. You don't need to run a node. Um, you just need to make content and publish it, and then the applications will handle that for you. Then on the back end, what's happening is these applications are forming uh, cryptographic smart contract relationships with people who will store the files and serve the files. And so you get this like combination mm -hmm. storage layer and CDN layer that's all contract-based. It's also highly redundant and an open marketplace. Um, so it's, you know, when you upload to Google, that's going to Google Cloud. Um, and there, you know, you can't, you don't have a choice, um, but also that, you know, that means Google's in control. Whereas in the decentralized version, we upload it to many different competing players um, and so one of them can't independently decide, oh, you know, this video is not available anymore um, because their, their competitors will just be able to serve that video. And then that's also like a revenue thing. If, if you decide you're not going to serve a certain type of content, um, your competitors have revenue opportunity now. And, and we've done as much as we can to commoditize the infrastructure um, so that, you know, if, if you're being picky as an infrastructure provider, you are just strictly losing 
customers, you are faceless. Like in, our infrastructure providers don't have a brand. They, they don't have names. They don't have anything they're trying to protect. For them, it's just this purely like mechanical relationship where they, they provide infrastructure and then they get paid. I mean, we, we think that's how infrastructure should be, this very, um, you know, so to speak, dumb and, yeah. and opinionless thing. And then we make all the smart stuff where the developers and the users and the content creators are. And we, we give all the, you know, executive decision making to the application writer themselves. Hmm. Interesting. So does this exist today, uh, the infrastructure or... Yes, so most of the infrastructure exists today. The one piece that is still missing is the monetization. Um, so right now everything is unmonetized, but if you're a content creator and you want to you know, publish videos to Skynet, um, you can do that and you can, you can upload videos, you can create a portfolio, you can create a you know, personal page of, of all of your content. Um, and that exists in a decentralized space where no one can deplatform you um, and you have a direct relationship with the users um, and then right and as I mentioned you, you can't monetize that just yet but uh, coming soon hopefully by the end of the summer um, you'll be able to get paid for your content as well yeah but just being able to be to put your content somewhere where it's unblockable right is 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 like a huge thing for a lot of content creators because they have they, they're worried about you know will I be censored will I be removed will I am I saying the will I say the wrong word right? Exactly. And it, it, if nothing else, um, you know, it gives you a backup. It, it gives you a place you can go where you don't need YouTube. And that almost is, uh, you know, we're not big enough that YouTube thinks about us at all. But if we grow, um, YouTube has to compete with us, right? They realize that they can't exert control over content creators. And so we, we almost have the power to force YouTube to be a good guy. Um, but I, I think um, I kind of mentioned earlier when when you move everything to the decentralized space, just the amount that applications can interact with each other and build on top of each other um, just completely overwhelms. It's, it's overwhelmingly more interesting than what YouTube can do alone. Um, I'm not sure if you remember like way back with Facebook, um, there used to be all these apps building on top of the Facebook API. There were a lot of games, but there are also a lot of like just social add-ons. I mean, Twitter had some of this ecosystem as well. And that was a very vibrant, quickly growing ecosystem. And Facebook and same thing with Twitter, both quickly grew afraid that they were losing control of their users and their main product. Yeah. And so they shut those APIs down um, and just kind of, you know, I think, I think in one decision, Facebook wiped out like almost a billion dollars worth of uh, startups because uh, Facebook felt threatened, right? Whereas yep. in the decentralized world, if there's a decentralized YouTube and you start to build on that data, you start to build on that user base and you, you build a competing product that, that's really exciting, again, it's all decentralized. The original YouTube builder can't shut that API off. And so all of this uh, right now, like venture, venture is nervous to fund startups that's too heavily reliant on say the Twitter API or the Facebook API, because they know if this does become a billion dollar company, um, it's at the mercy of Twitter allowing it to exist. In the decentralized world, you don't have to worry about that. If you're building on the decentralized Twitter API, that API will be there um, because nobody can, there, there is no off switch for that API. And, that, and so from an innovator's perspective, it's much safer to make use of other people's work. But then if you're trying to, will the decentralized 
will this decentralized service also connect to regular APIs too? So can I can I get to the Twitter API through you, or is this a different version of Twitter or not another app like Twitter? So is that yeah, what you're so talking it's, about? It's yeah, it's a parallel Twitter, um, right. and we can connect in the very centralized sense of the word, where Twitter could decide that we're no longer allowed to connect, right? So because all right. of so Twitter cut you off world, if they wanted to, yeah. And and so we we could we could connect to them and maybe start to build a little momentum that way, but we would have to live with the idea that they can turn us off at any time. Um, whereas if we kind of build this independent thing and, and just kind of get it going from scratch, um, that will that will be there forever. Right. How does this work with personal data? Does it also capture personal data? Can I store my personal data in the cloud in an encrypted way through this service as well? Yeah, so that's that's what we're actually working on this week as our highest priority um, is encryption. So right now, everything on Skynet is unencrypted. We call it. I discovery. love that you called it Skynet, by the way. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we. Uh, you know, we just wanted to be aggressive. Um, but yeah, so today Skynet is really well built out for what we call discoverable content, and what that means is that if I know your user ID. I can find everything that you've chosen to publish. You, you don't have to tell me that you made a YouTube account. I Just by having your user ID, I will be able to find out on my own that you made a YouTube account. Um, and of course, this is very, very content creator friendly. Um, but then there's the second side, which is you know, if you're uploading personal photos of your family, um, you, know, you, you don't want people to know when, when you're uploading photos, you don't want to know where the photos were uploaded from or how many, et cetera. Like, you, you, know, you might reveal you were on vacation or you, do, you just don't want anyone knowing any of that stuff. It's your business. Yeah. Um, so we're very close, like within a week of being able to support that. But right now, at, at this exact moment, it's not supported. Um, but it's called, we call them hidden files. And again, the idea is that if you upload you know, to your personal account, uh, some private data, any any data, but we'll say, you know, family photos. Um, nobody can tell that you uploaded the photos. Nobody knows how many, nobody knows when, nobody knows from where. Um, it All they see is that the total pile of hidden files is now bigger, but they have no sense of, of where those new new files came from or what they are. Um, and so, yeah, again, that's, that's almost ready. Uh, one more week. Okay, so I won't put anything personal up, but I'll definitely move all my contact over. Do you support audio as well? Do you have like a, a Apple Podcasts variant as well? Yeah, so pretty much anything that um, this any any type of content that the centralized web can do, the decentralized web can do as well. So video, audio, uh, photographs, blog posts. Um, so we yeah, I can I can send a pack of links um, for different different ways to do this. Oh please! I'd love to see that, and I'd love to share it with uh, with my audience. This this is this is great. I I love this. So so what's holding you back? I mean, why why are more people using this? I mean, so uh, we've been growing very rapidly. Um, I think we're at about a hundred thousand users per week at this point, um, and and that number's been going up. And and I think wow, the big really thing good. is just yeah, it's just time. Um, at at this point. You know, we're talking to more and more people. They're getting excited. Enough of the technology is there that you can like sink your teeth into it and and really feel like oh, I'm I'm part of the new I'm part of the new internet. Um, and it and it's just about uh, you know push pushing pushing that wheel like getting getting the snowball 
getting the snowball rolling down the mountain. Uh, it just it just needs to gain momentum, but it is. It's it's moving and it's rolling and it's growing, um, and it just it's not at the bottom yet. And you've got the scalability, so I don't have to worry about you know you're gonna we're gonna hit some kind of wall. I mean because I mean I guess I'm I'm asking. From, from on the back end, you know, how do people become content providers? I mean, not content providers, but how do they how do they join the network and provide space for all this uh, content to be stored? Yeah, infrastructure providers. Um, so all this happens on a blockchain, which you're right to uh, you know question the scalability of. And we've set our system up so so the fundamental limitation of blockchain scalability comes down to number of participants. And so there are a finite number of infrastructure providers that can fit on the blockchain. And so the way we've managed scalability is that most users, when you, when you access Skynet as a content creator, you go through what's called a Skynet portal. Um, and you can pick any portal you want. They all do the exact same thing. But that portal is operating on the blockchain. And so we can have a finite number of hosts and a finite number of portals. But each host and each portal can get nearly infinitely big. Um, mm -hmm. So in total, we can support maybe a thousand, a thousand portals and 10,000 hosts, um, which is comparable to the number of data centers that there are in the world. It's, you know, it's a similar order of magnitude. Um, and then each portal can support say 10 million users today, um, 10 to a hundred million users. And so, that gets us pretty close. Um, and, and so if we get the whole world onboarded and everyone's using Skynet every day, um, we probably have a little bit of work to do, but at least from a theoretical level, we should be able to build out to that point. And then, and then as a user, it's, it's just choosing which of the you know, several thousand portals you want to connect to. Right, and then there's the infrastructure providers. Like you mentioned that they were unbranded, right? So you wouldn't connect AWS or anything like that to, to this. Yeah, and uh, the big reason, like we have no problem with AWS being one of the providers, except that it's just way too expensive, right? So when you have these unbranded infrastructure providers, um, yeah, the, the costs are a lot cheaper because they, they aren't spending um, money on like support or branding or, or... There are a couple of techniques we've used that put us in a very separate category from AWS that allow us to get the prices much lower. Right, but these are actual infrastructure providers they're not it's not some kind of peer-to-peer -peer, massive peer-to-peer -peer network because if i upload it none of it resides on my own machine so it's like you said earlier it's not a node on the network right the in, the infrastructure providers are professionals who are tasked with you know they know you you have to keep this data online and you have to have an uptime of 95 percent and and i'll uh since I threw that number out there. So even each infrastructure provider is expected to have a 95% uptime. But because we spread the files across many, the files have, you know, four, five, six nines of uptime. Uh, they're much, much better than 95%. But the infrastructure provider, uh, they, you know, it's it's not some dude's laptop that's that's turning off every day when they commute. Um, it's, it's a dedicated machine that, you know, the, the purpose of this machine is to, uh, caretake data on Skynet. Right. Okay. So it's pretty, so it's pretty, it sounds like it's pretty solid. Um, so you said that there was a YouTube analog. There's a, there's a app podcast. I mean, there, is there, there's a Twitter analog and a Facebook analog and all those others as was as well. So not all of that's built yet. There is a Twitter analog. 
Um, there's not a podcast analog yet. There are blogging analogs and there's, there are a few things that um, you could call YouTube analogs, but they don't feel like YouTube. Uh, so mm -hmm. the Twitter analog feels like Twitter and the blogging analogs feel like blogging platforms. The YouTube analogs, um, they host videos and, and you can create spaces where you know a content creator can present their portfolio, but it, it doesn't look like YouTube. It's not a feed. Um, in, in the same way that, that YouTube is. But uh, that's, so that's another part of the, you know, this, the snowball that's, that's rolling. The number of developers building applications on top of Skynet is growing every day. And the number of applications, you know, I think this week we had uh, somewhere around 30 new applications and I, I haven't even had a chance to look at them all yet, um, but nice. I'm very excited to be exploring them. Um, so yeah, and so that's, that's something that, that is growing with time. Uh, we also have good support for uh, music. There are several applications dedicated to making and sharing music. Mm. And I guess could those be used for podcasting as well, or quite possibly? Um, I I can definitely ping the creators of those apps and see see what they think about podcasts. Okay, so I'll take a look at that. That's that sounds really interesting. So um, you're you're uh, you've been around. How long have you been around for? Um, so. We started as something called SIA, which was just focused on decentralized storage. And that was in mm -hmm. 2014. Um, so we've been around now for seven years, uh, which- Wow. It doesn't feel like it's been seven years. I'm gonna be honest. Um, you know, I, I still feel like I'm 23, really. Like an overnight success. It's an overnight, you're an overnight success in seven years. <laughs> It feels like it, um, but yeah, but then what happened was in late 2019, November 2019, we had this, uh, just kind of this spark of how to take everything we built for SIA and make it much more user accessible. Um, mm. So just kind of overnight, what we were building felt like we went from like, you know, Sisyphus pushing, pushing the stone up the mountain to suddenly we just got to the top and it, it just happened in like one instance where like, Oh, it's downhill now. And we nice. started pushing again. And it's so the past year and a half has been very fast and very intense. Um, but yeah, the number of the number of active users has gone from like 500 to 100,000 uh, per week. And, and it's, it's just been uh, the amount of fun things that you can do with the platform has gone mm -hmm. up so rapidly. And, and so that's all of our energy right now is, is just taking, taking this and pushing it as fast and as far as we can. No, I love it. I think it's a fantastic idea. I, the, my only concern is, is it's sort of like the same thing that happens to all of these, all of these over time. It's like you come out, you have a, a great vision at the beginning. And then over time, you end up be, becoming like Google or like one of these other companies. I mean, what's to stop you from, from becoming that? Yeah, that's a great question, and and something that uh, I do wonder about. Um, you know, there and there there are several playbooks that are several things that happen that um, I I don't know that I have a solution to. But but like uh, one of the big ones is just when when you go public, right? As as a public company, you're yeah. you have what's called a fiduciary responsibility. You have to optimize for shareholder value, and that mm -hmm. also means that the once you go public, the talent you attract is talent that's morally aligned towards increasing shareholder value. And you have pressures from, from the shareholders to pull in people who are gonna take care of them um, and, and potentially even legal pressures, right? You don't, you don't wanna be sued if, if the shareholders start to feel like 
um, you're not being responsible with the money in from an ROI perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's something that um, you know I, I definitely feel like if we IPO, we're gonna have to IPO with with a different structure. Um, you know some some responsibility that maybe puts the Commonwealth first or, or the DWeb first. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that's an unsolved problem um, and one one we think about a lot. Another thing that we think about a lot is the um, the mantra "embrace, extend, extinguish," um, which is kind of what it's how Microsoft defeated a lot of open source in the early days. It's Google's been doing this. Uh, the biggest example is Google Chrome. They came in, they made a web browser, and now they've started to add all these Chrome-specific features that are closed source that makes applications and web apps easier to develop and faster to run on, but but then they also only work on Chrome. And so just mm-hmm. especially with like the advent of the pandemic and everyone switching to Zoom, you know, all these all these applications, all these video applications are like, really you should be using Chrome with this application. Um, and that's something that I think is very bad. It's very bad for the health of the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's to stop that strategy from being effective on Skynet? I don't have a good answer for that at the time, at this at this moment. But I assure you, it's it's something that we think about a lot because we we certainly don't want to see Skynet get taken over the way uh, that the web got taken over. Yeah, yeah, that's why I use Vivaldi. <laughs> it's it's a Chromium <laughs> browser, but I got I I, I I had to just leave it. It was just not only was it a dog, but it was also. You know, you, you were seeing it go down this path and it's like, I don't like the end of this path. I mean, I, I want to see the kind of freedoms that you guys are talking about. And uh, it sounds like you, you're going, you're definitely going the right path, down the right path. So w- what's next for you guys? You're just, you're just in a growth mode right now. And then after that, I mean, what, 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 what what's your plans? Yeah. I mean, so really, I, I feel like we don't have a great opportunity to look 10 years down the future just because there are so many things on fire in the next three months. Um, but but the, the real big thing is that monetization piece. Um, we really feel like the vision is not complete until people publishing content on Skynet are doing so in a sustainable way. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so until that sustainability component is, is locked down, um, that, that's where a lot of my mental energy is going and, and where a lot of the dev team energy is going is, is we really want to see this in place. And then beyond that, I think um, Skynet is is complete and it's really about uh, collaborating with all the other efforts. Uh, we're certainly not the only effort that's fighting against the big cloud. Um, and at, you know, at, at the moment, we don't have a ton of energy to kind of like look around and, and work with everybody else who's who's fighting the same evils that we are. Um, but as soon as as soon as our own kind of stack cools off in the sense that it's, it's complete and, and the major vision is done, I, th- I think we will be able to look up more. And um, you know, the big the big effort will be around finding everyone else who's passionate about the same things and, and kind of working together to um, just, just build, build a future where people don't feel uh, required to interface with Google, where if if you make a Google free, just life, um, you enjoy all the same benefits that someone does who, who is not hiding from Google. Right. But what I'd love to do is that one of the things that it really annoys me is all these virtual assistants like Alexa and Siri and, and Google, they're all the same, right? They're all, you know, very 
embedded in our personal lives. They know everything about us. They're listening all the time. It would be great if we could actually build our own personal bot that resides on a network like Skynet and can do everything that these other bots can do, but keeps our information private to ourselves and we, like works on our behalf, maybe even negotiating with those other bots. Is this something that is conceptually able to be built? On Skynet? Yeah, I, I think conceptually it's, it's more than possible. Um, I do think it'd probably be a bigger project, right? Um, mm -hmm. But um, I'm, I'm fully with you, right? Like, I love the idea that I have a complete history of where I've been geographically. Um, like, I love opening up my app and, and looking at all the places I've traveled. I yep. hate the idea that this geography is shared with Google. <laughs> I know. <laughs> which Google didn't know. I, I want to know just me. And it, and we have the technology, right? Like there's, there's nothing about my GPS that needs to report my location back to Google. It yeah. could just record my location for my use on, only. But of course, I can't buy a phone that does that. Yeah. Um, and I do think if we look maybe three to five years down the line, that's, that's something that we believe we can turn Skynet into like a full operating system for smartphones. Mm. And so you would open up your phone, you would log into Skynet, and then that's just kind of it. You, you just have the web browser. And so Firefox tried to do this with a phone a couple years ago, but it, what it was missing was decentralized storage. You can't, if you can't save your personal data, you can't save personal files like, you know, a, a list of where you've been, it's just really hard to build a complete experience. And, and so it feels empty compared to say Android. Um, but if we can add this decentralized storage layer, I think we can get to a point where um, you have a phone that's just a web browser, and yet it feels, you know, completely comparable to an iPhone or an Android. Um, and so, yeah, I think that I think that's probably you know a couple of years down. But certainly, you know, if if someone were to try and build it today, um, there would be nothing stopping them, right? That that's something they could get to work on today. So I could conceivably build build a device like that, and it could run on Skynet, and I would wouldn't have to worry about anybody grabbing my data because it's going to be on these decentralized infrastructure on this decentralized infrastructure that you've, you've built. Yeah. And then after next week, it'll be on the, you know, on the encrypted piece of the mm -hmm. infrastructure. Um, and, and, you know, people don't even know that you have a sky phone, let alone right. uh, what, what types of data you're using with your sky phone. Sky phone. I love the name. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you've got the domain. <laughs> so you're saying, well, uh, so you're saying yeah. 10 years from now, where do you think you're going to be? Yeah, so if if everything goes well, and it certainly it certainly seems to be picking up steam, I think uh, ten years from now, like YouTube will still exist in the same way that AOL still exists, but all the you Ooh, know quote unquote cool that's a kids, burn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all all the cool kids will have moved over to Skynet, and there will be this rich ecosystem. And I think kind of similar to how when when MySpace upgraded to Facebook. They did the same thing, but they felt very different. Um, I think it'll be the same way when the, the proper replacement to YouTube will feel very different. And it won't just be YouTube. You know, Facebook will have moved over and uh, Instagram and everything social will have moved over to decentralized and, and the way that you use it. Because again, instead of being 12 you know, completely separate silos, it, it will just be you. Um, and I, I think a world where you own all of your data, um, it's, it's hard to imagine, but I, I think we will be there in, in 10 years and we will know how that panned out. And, um, 
and yeah, fa Facebook will be, you know, a thing of the past. Yeah, well, if you think about it, I mean, each one of these social networks is an island unto itself. It really needs, they all really need to be connected to the individual. And it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, I have 12 different chat apps. You shouldn't have to communicate with me through 12 different chat apps. If you want to chat with me, just fire up an instant message session and connect to me directly. Why would I have to go through 12 different chat apps? It just, it just makes no sense. So is that kind of where the end game is here? There's no branded network like Facebook or Twitter or whatever that we go through, but it's just sort of interconnectivity between individuals and groups over Skynet? Yes, uh, I think so. And I think chat is is probably one of the first things that will fall. Because uh, I agree, it's, it's ridiculous that you need 12 chat apps. And so there's going to be a 13th in the sense, well, not even a 13th, it'll just some will be Skynet, some chat app will come out that's Skynet connected. And that will push pressure, put pressure on every other chat app to also be Skynet connected. Um, yep. And because Skynet's decentralized, anyone can make a chat app that is Skynet connected. And so if you prefer Telegram, you know, and I, I prefer Signal, we can still talk to each other over Skynet because there's a common, the, the data layer is common as opposed to Signal having to ask Telegram for permission to use the APIs and like that, you know, that's a big political mess. Uh, the, the brilliance of Skynet is that it eliminates this political mess with sharing data. Applications can just access the core user data. Um, and that's, yeah, so I, I think chat is, is a great example of something that will probably fall sooner rather than later. How soon? <laughs> I want this now. <laughs> Can I, I, I hope, you know, it could be three months and it could be one year. Um, it really comes down to what developers are most excited about building. Um, so we have about 500 developers and, and each developer kind of has their own um, grudge against the centralized world and that, that motivates them <laughs> around the, the app that they choose to build. Um, yeah. And so it's really about waiting until until the right person with a grudge against the twelve messengers shows up. But there are enough of those people that it, like it's only a matter of time. The they'll be here. <laughs> so it shouldn't take that long. It should be there. So yeah. speaking of development, I mean, how do I get like how do I get into your developers program? Like if I if I wanted to build something, what would be the how do I do that? Yeah. So we have a Discord channel. Um, it's discord.gg/skynetlabs. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where all of the developers hang out. Um, you can ping us. There are, you know, we can send you resources for how to, you know, take three hours and make your very first Skynet app. And then, and then from there, as you have ideas, you know, whether it's a messaging app or something else, um, there are, there's a huge community that's would be like openly excited to just go back and forth with you on, on the best way to, um, you know, build, build whatever you have in mind. And I think in general, we're all kind of excited about the types of things that can be built. And so um, it really doesn't matter what your idea is um, because we're, we're just excited anyway. We're, we, we think the technology is amazing and that every, every little piece is a, new, is a new door that opens to things that we can do that we couldn't do before. Um, and it's just so thrilling because it's so, it's so early. Um, so you'll, you'll be embraced in open arms if you show up in our Discord and say, I had an idea. Um, and so, yeah, I would, I would love to, to see you or, or any of your audience uh, on our Discord. Oh, fantastic. This is great. I'm, I'm, I'm totally going to get, <laughs> I'm totally going to get my, either myself or uh, there's a few friends of mine who are coders who are like, oh, I definitely want to. So what kind of skills do you need to be able, like, what kind of a developer, like, what, what would help me 
to uh, to build apps on the on the platform? Yeah, so the big thing is that everything is pretty much in JavaScript. Um, but the good news is that it's it's actually all very friendly JavaScript, um, and and we've really built. So we have a we have an SDK that abstracts all of the decentralized and distributed systems pieces for you. And so you you call functions like store file and retrieve file, um, and then all the complex distributed system stuff happens you know underneath that. Um, it's abstracted away, and so we've done you know our absolute best, and I, I think we have done a great job of making. Skynet application development accessible to, um, you know, the entry level like college college student level JavaScript programmer, mm -hmm. um, and so it is it is all in JavaScript uh, or TypeScript is uh, TypeScript is fine, um, but you don't you know you don't need to be some distributed systems master's degree. Um, you you can be almost almost any JavaScript developer, um, and and start to build something interesting. Fantastic! I know I know a number of JavaScript developers who would love this. They could be amazing. So I really really love this. So um, what's the best way to contact you if somebody wants to get more information? Yeah, so uh, you can reach me personally at david at sciasky.net, um, or you can reach uh, someone else on the team. And I will caveat: I'm not great about checking my email, but if you email hello at sciasky.net, um, the team is is much better about uh, you know checking and responding to emails. So both. Feel free to reach out to both of those. Um, and I'm also on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash David Vorick. Excellent, excellent. So I'll put your contact information in the show notes. So anybody wants to get in touch with you, they can go direct. And I'm going to, right after this, I'm going to check it out and see what I can do because this sounds fantastic. It's a dream come true, man. You, you guys are on the, you know, and it reminds me of, the, <laughs> I don't know why it reminds me of Silicon Valley. You know the, you know the show, right? I do. Yes. It's 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 like the second <laughs> internet that they were creating, and like where you had to run it on uh, run it on refrigerators and stuff like that. It, it's a bit like that, right? Isn't it? I mean, the whole distributed it's, platform. Yeah, there are, there are a lot of similarities. Thankfully, we've never had to run things on refrigerators. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, in, in that same idea that like um, you, you know, it's 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 an open system that anyone can participate in. You do, you don't have to be a hundred million dollar cloud giant to jump in and, and provide infrastructure and make money. Um, and, and that really benefits everyone because that means, you know, clever, creative people who are in unique situations to provide good infrastructure have the opportunity to do so. Whereas with the with the traditional cloud, they really don't. Um, and your unique situation, if you don't have a brand name, is is worth nothing. Um, yeah. on, on Skynet, you can capitalize on, on opportunities that you have. Yeah, well, that's why I thought. So the original promise of the internet is sort of interconnectivity from person to person, and we've we've gone so far away from that. And it sounds like we're this is bringing us back towards that more sort of person to person level of connectivity. Absolutely, and I think that's where that's where all this or originated. I think me, my co-founder, and almost all of our employees uh, kind of have a history of being very active. On the kind of the you know the pre-Reddit, the pre-YouTube days of the internet, whereas mostly like forums and stuff, or yeah. even like web rings, um, you know that's that's kind of what we. Well, miss. There's, a, there's a word from the past. I remember those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's just like you know it was a simpler time, but it it had this uh, just like warmth to it yeah. that Reddit does not have, um, and and we really we think that we can build something that is as useful as Reddit, but has the warmth of the web ring days. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, it is, it's, it's interconnectivity from person to person that I think that we have to bring that back and forget about these middlemen that are, that are causing all this, all this, all this grief. So, I mean, this is great. I love it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. And I'm definitely going to be heading right over there right after this. Thank you so much. Super, Yeah. Super excited to be here. Uh, thank you so much. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.